Welcome back, creeps. Hey, everyone. Look at this. Look at us. Oh, what are we doing, huh? So, how are you this week? Me? Yeah. I'm good. I'm just here um, using my tablet, which is rare for me. I like to look at YouTube in my tiny screen on my phone. The smallest possible screen. I mean, I have like a tablet. It's old. Like it's, it's like five, six years old and it works fine. Absolutely fine. Barely use it, but I'd rather watch YouTube videos on my phone. I mean, hey, we all have our little quirks. Our patron of the week this week is our friend Justin. He is a rock star. He's a fucking rock god. And the reason for that, well, one of the many reasons for that is this, which we got this week. I don't know. Can you see that in this? I can't see the screen. Yeah. But. Yeah. So, and I did take a little video, which I will be putting up like in real time right now on our Instagram right after we record here so we can thank him properly. But check this out if you can see it. If you can't see it, I'll edit it in so as you can see it properly. Yeah, when it got to us, I was like, how the hell did he do this? Magic. It's, I love anything like handmade like that anyway. Like, even if it's not necessarily a thing, but I love when I can walk into somewhere and someone goes, look what I made. Yeah. Or look what I did myself. Yeah. So the fact that I know he did that was just mind, mind bottling. As Michael Scott would say. <laughs> but no, we were so impressed. We still have it in the box. We haven't even like put it on our keys yet because we're like, no, it's too nice. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hang it somewhere. Well, I mean, like, so we have other things it. to hang as well, like our uh, other art that we got sent by Tess. Yeah, we could hang it on one of these chickens. Yeah, we could. We could. Um, but yeah, either way. So Justin, you are patron of the week. We were so surprised when we got it in the mail the other day. Mm. Yeah. Oh, and if you want to check out Justin's shop, it's The Lonely Moose on Etsy. So you can, he does custom stuff, jewelry, keychains. Just go on there. There's so much stuff. And he has like almost 6,000 five-star reviews. Wow. Yeah. We know how hard it is to get people to review your shit. So yeah, that's very impressive. And we are so grateful is one of the coolest things ever. And he was like, oh, I decided to go with the American Horror Story font. And I'm like, oh, you only made the best fucking decision. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, the whole thing looks just so fucking cool. Um, so, yeah. Thank you, Justin. Yes. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And all your support. Anyway, up until now and since, we're just blown away. We have the best listeners. Yeah, we do. That's all I news this week. <laughs> I looked at my coworker like that the other day and he said, Wow, what what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> I just gave him a look like just because I wanted to. I forgot why. So you're giving us the first story this week, right? I'm giving you the first story because it's short. We can blow through it real quick. And then we can go to Adam's story because I'm I'm really looking forward to that one. I'm like, and then what happened? He's like, you're just going to have to wait. And I'm like, what? Like everybody else. <laughs> I'm like, yes, like everybody else. All right. So my sources are heavy.com, Wikipedia, and cleveland.com. Oh, yeah. We're going back to Cleveland. We're the going town back we to love Cleveland. so well. Cleveland. Like... Anyways, so we're talking about Michael Madison. Michael Madison from East Cleveland, Ohio, born October 15, 1977. Let me just say that the person who wrote the Wikipedia for this garbage person really disliked him because he said, quote, he wrote, quote, Madison was born October 15, 1977, to Diane Madison and John Baldwin as a result of an accidental pregnancy. However, Baldwin has denied that he was the father and had no contact with Madison. Like, end quote. They just needed to add that messy little tidbit 
<laughs> oh, they're just being gossipy bitches. That, yeah, that Maury moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And if you don't know what Maury is, it's kind of like... Everybody Jer- knows what Maury is. Oh, it's they fine. do? Oh, okay. Yeah. Like Jerry Springer. Yeah, or Jeremy down. Kyle for... <laughs> Actually, Jeremy Kyle had a show over here as well. Did he? Yeah, but he was an English... What is that? Talk show host? Anyway, it was the worst of the worst people. What do I do with my arm? <laughs> <laughs> it's real uh, homesick from school watching, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. I forgot what we are doing. A little background. Madison was a registered sex offender who was indicted with attempted rape, gross sexual imposition, and kidnapping as a motivation. Wow. According to the Cuyahoga County Court Records, because I, lo- I, I went on that government website okay. and I looked them up, because you can see somebody's... Court records, yeah. Court records, yeah. So apparently, he also caught like several cases before this, you know, attempted rape case and stuff. Attempted rape and kidnapping, like right. what the fuck? Anyways, so he was also caught... He also caught cases of possession of marijuana and cocaine with the intention to sell, attempted possession of drugs, and it looks like he also got he also caught a case for violating his terms of parole by moving without telling his parole officer. Okay. He was sent to jail in 2002 for the attempted rape and kidnapping that I had mentioned before, and so that earned him 4 years in jail. Anyways, so this is a little bit of his criminal background. Okay. Which is really all I was able to gather from this guy. It's just, he was a bad seed. Um, so, on July 19, 2013, police responded to a foul odor call. The smell was reportedly coming from Madison's garage. The police got a hold of a warrant to search the premises and found three mangled and mutilated bodies... Wrapped in plastic garbage bags. What the fuck? This was before his court case. This is after everything. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so like he caught drug, he dro- he caught a drug rap. Right, right. Caught a rape, rape case, kidnapping case, all this stuff early and on. And then, and this is after he got out. Uh, after he was on after parole. After four years. For that. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so this guy escalated real... Well, I mean, yeah, he escalated real quick. Yeah. Anyways, so these three bodies, there was one in the garage, per the smell, and another in the backyard of the residence, and the last one was found in the basement of the residence. Each of the bodies were in fetal positions inside these plastic garbage bags. According to some witnesses, you wouldn't even guess that there's bodies in these bags because they just like it's just look it's like surprising. regular garbage bags. Like. It's surprising how small a small human can be like fold up like it, yeah. yeah. So that was morbid to read. Anyways, so initially there was a two hour standoff at the Madison house when they tried to apprehend mm-hmm. Michael, uh, but eventually uh, Madison was taken into custody. The victims were Shatisha Sheely, who died at 28 years old. She was missing since September 2012. Angela Deskin, who died at 38 years old and was missing since June 2013. And lastly, Sherelda Helen Terry, who was 18 and was missing since July 10, 2013, when she was seen leaving her summer job at Cleveland Elementary School. That's fucking heartbreaking yeah. here. One of the reasons that this case caught my attention was that there was a couple of articles that said his murdering women, putting them in trash bags and keeping them around the house makes him seem like a copycat killer like the of the Cleveland Strangler, who I covered a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. The one that set all this Cleveland stuff into motion. His neighbors also made the connection to the Cleveland Strangler because Madison threatened to commit copycat crimes in the way Sowell did. Sowell oh. being the Cleveland Strangler. Yeah. Like he threatened to kill them and put their bodies in bags just like him. And he ended up doing that. Yeah. Just like him. And like the community was always was already reeling because of this because uh, this guy 
got arrested in 2013. Sowell, the Cleveland Strangler, only just got caught in 2019. Jesus. Yeah. Anyways, so Madison confessed to one of the murders, but was able to give the locations of all three bodies. How this made sense in his head, I'll have no idea. Imagine being caught for a murder, like being yeah. charged with three murders and be like, oh, no, yeah, I killed this one. I didn't kill the other two, but I know where they are. That's like, always how... that kind of bullshit. Is, uh... <laughs> how fucking stupid. Anyways. Or like when you hear people and they're like, no, I only committed 17 of yeah. those 23 murders. It's like, you're not getting out. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You're not a cat. You don't get nine lives. Yeah. On October 31st, 2013, Madison's attorney, David Grant, entered a not guilty plea. But prosecutors were out for blood. Like, he put in this not guilty plea knowing it wasn't going to... Yeah, yeah. Nothing was going to come from it. He just had to be seen to be doing something, I, I guess. I guess. But uh, what he didn't anticipate... What, what he actually he did anticipate them like setting their sights on the death penalty Mm. um so the indictment included 14 counts of a variety of things two counts each of aggravated murder for each victim three counts of kidnapping three counts of gross abuse of a corpse one count of rape and one count of weapons possession by an ex-convict um so these three bodies were different um phases of decomposition um and i think they were only able to make that one rape stick because this one wasn't one of them wasn't as decomposed as right, the rest right madison's trial began uh april 4th 2019 uh, where am i getting this april 4th 2000 uh, april 4th 2016 madison's trial was two months long and I don't think that's very long. I, I have no idea. Mm. I don't know. Like in my head, I just feel like like big cases like that mm-hmm. take longer. Big. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Anyways, the prosecutors described the details that forensics found when they searched the Madison home. The women were choked, beaten and raped while they were held hostage in the home. Families of the victims were in court while the trial was underway, but not all of them could make it. After the defense and prosecution rested their cases, the trial ended with the family of the victims taking the stand to address the man who killed their loved ones. Like at that time, um, I guess, I'm not sure who, but I guess someone in court uh, read one of the letters that um, a family member of one of the victims wrote. Yeah. Uh, to Madison, Shatisha Sheely's sister Samara wrote, If you get injection, you take the easy way out. It's a lose-lose situation here, and it makes me think selfishly. Thinking that your family will get to see you behind bars makes me want to see you die. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was important to read that because you will never really... Like, none of us will really understand that pain the imp yeah because you can hear the pain in this statement the Mm -hmm. conflicting conflicting emotions of wanting to see someone die and you're just like why would i ever want to see someone die yeah yeah you know that's sad though it is so the last person to take the stand was a father of sherelda terry his name is van terry he said quote right now i guess we're supposed to in our hearts, forgive this clown who has touched our families, taken my child, end quote. At that moment, he raised his head to look at Madison, who was grinning at Mr. Terry. Oh, shit. Van Terry bolted from the podium and lunged across the hardwood table where Madison was seated. He grabbed at Madison's face as his momentum carried him back into the packed courtroom gallery. I saw the picture, and it's fucking awful. One, because because only a man with immense pain would be moved to lose control like that. Yeah. 
And the other reason is because Madison looks like he's laughing at him. And it looks like he's... I know. And it looks like he's touching Mr. Terry. Like, I can touch you, but you can't touch me. Like, he's touching him. So he is really an evil piece of shit. Exactly. Brings me to my next point. My next bullet point. Mm, Okay. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the other reason why this case caught my attention. Further proof that there are piles of garbage masquerading as humans. I feel it's healthy to remind y'all of this. Anyways, Madison was found guilty on all counts. The jurors took less than a day of deliberation to reach their decision. On May 20th, 2016, the jury recommended the death penalty for his sentence. And on June 2nd, 2016, Judge Nancy R. McDonald did just that. Madison tried to appeal to the Ohio Supreme Court, but the court ruled, the court voted unanimously to uphold the death sentence for Madison on July 21st, 2020. So at this moment, he's still on death row. Police in the community believe that he is linked to other missing cases of women, but for whatever reason, the search has the search for bodies has ceased. Three years after his conviction, Madison's mother, Diane Madison, was killed at her home on June 22, 2019. She died from multiple stab wounds. Three of her grandchildren were also injured in the attack. Her grandson, 18-year-old Jalen Plummer, was charged with his grandmother's murder and three counts of attempted murder. He has pled not guilty to all these charges. What the fuck? I know. That was a huge what the fuck story. But that was was my story. All right. Well, thanks for that, bummer. (laughs) Okay. Well, I have no smart comments for that because I was just a bit of a Debbie Downer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So quick catch up on last week. Deborah and Tony were having like very differing opinions, but Tony seemed to be like suppressing how scared he actually was, whereas Deborah was openly interacting with Sally and they had also had like a handful of pictures. Yeah. And the last picture that we spoke about, Tony found it and realized that one of the crayons that Deborah had left was just standing upright on its own, okay. seemingly. Yeah, and there's another handful of, uh, what would you call them? Like first-hand written accounts. Mm-hmm. I'm going to blast through them. And yeah, we'll, we'll see how we get on. Okay. So in September of 1993, Deborah and Tony's brother, Greg, were feeling sorry for Sally and decided to get her a baby boy doll, especially mm-hmm. for her. They decided on the boy doll because she was so fond of Taylor, their Deborah and Tony's baby. They went to Walmart, actually, and they got it there. When they got home, Deborah unboxed it, took off all the tie wraps and whatever else, and then placed the doll back inside the box and then gift wrapped it in like nice wrapping paper appropriate for a young girl. And they placed it in her area in the nursery. It lay there for weeks, completely untouched. And Deborah kept fighting with herself. She was like, oh, should I go in there and just open it for her and leave it out there? But... She was like, no, she half the fun of getting a present is Opening. unwrapping it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially when you're a child. Also, for those of you seeing this, I do this all the time, apparently, when I'm fucking trying to read. <laughs> like, what do I do with my hand? <laughs> anyway, so she left the box in there. She fought all the urges to open it herself. Mm-hmm. I mean, she fucking knew what was in there. Yeah. But one day she had left Taylor in her bedroom and was grabbing stuff from the nursery, like a fresh diaper and shit like that. And she realized she forgot something and went back in. Literally a second later, she went into the nursery, grabbed the stuff back into the bedroom and was like, oh shit, back into the nursery. As she walked back out the second time, she stood in the doorway looking back into the room, trying to see, like she was like, something is missing or something's not right. There... In the crib was this little doll. Wow. The box was just as she left it. Completely sealed up. All the wrapping paper intact. She didn't touch anything until Tony's brother got back from work that evening. 
because I think she just needed a second person to yeah. go over everything with her. When they inspected the box, the tape was all still fully intact. But when they opened it, one of the flaps on the box had been bent awkwardly outward. They were just left dumbfounded. Wow. Right. So literally no explanation for this. Like there's no, oh, well, maybe this happened or that happened. And Deborah made a point of saying, like, remember how meticulous she was with the nursery mm-hmm. at the start? Like everything had its proper place. She was like, when I gift wrap things, I do it fucking properly. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll believe her. I, it's almost like this some like time portal type shit. Yeah, right. Like time skipping thing. Um, what's the what's it called when poltergeist? This is like poltergeist activity when shit is like apparating mm. and disapparating. I'm talking about Harry Potter, but it is a real thing. Like you put your keys down on the table, turn around, look back, and they're gone. And then like three weeks later, you find them yeah. on your fucking roof or some bullshit. Yeah. So it's similar to that, which you find is like them in your butt. Yeah. <laughs> You poop them out. <laughs> Ow. So that, <laughs> that happened in September. Remember, there's like spans of weeks and even months between activity here. But on October 31st, Halloween, bitches. Samhain. Yeah. Sam Hain. Sandwich. So Tony comes home from work around 7 a.m. And he goes into the kitchen to grab himself a glass of orange juice. He gets the glass out of the cupboard, pours orange juice in there, and he's standing there. And just as he goes to take a drink, he turns around and he sees a little girl just standing there across the kitchen. The table is between them and he just kind of, she's just there. He's like, who the fuck is this young one? Like, <laughs> He thinks it's one of the neighbor's kids. And he's like, why is she here so early? Then he realizes that she's not dressed in the fine attire of the early 1990s. He said, quote, she looked just as real as you and I, innocent looking and sweet. She had a surprised look on her face as if she was just as curious. She wasn't scary looking at all. She had shorter brown hair pulled up in a pulled up with a bow that sat on top of her head, a big round face and big eyes. She was in a fancy dress of lace, which made it apparent that she was well to do or at least well taken care of. He said later it looked like something like church clothes or something, you know. But he did also say that, thinking back on it, she was see-through. Ah. With the realization of who he was looking at, he dropped the glass he was holding. Like, glasses here, he just lets go. But the sound of smashing glass on the floor knocks him out of this trance. He looks down, looks back up, and she's gone. He runs upstairs to tell Deborah, and after telling her about the whole thing and her asking him every fucking question under the sun... He finally calms down. He's like, oh shit, like I better go down and clean up the glass and the orange juice. He's like, oh right, I'm thirsty. <laughs> Sorry, hang on. I need orange juice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But after he cleans up, he sits down and he draws a picture of the girl he sees. Oh, he drew that? Yeah. The wow, picture that's that I really posted. Good. Yeah, yeah. So that I actually meant to not post that, but then some of the other pictures wouldn't have made sense. I have more for next week. Anyway, or for this week. So it turns out he's just always drawn shit. Mm. Like, anyway, it's not out of the norm for him to do that. And anyway, about a week or so before Christmas. So again, like six, seven weeks later, mm-hmm. Deborah and Tony are having a holiday party for the family. Nice. Yeah. And I like parties. Me too. And this actually sounded really like a good idea. Like it's the most simple of ideas. It's just something I've never done. They blew up a gross of balloons. Have you ever heard that before? No, but I've heard of an embarrassment of pandas. Okay. Which is a group. Of <laughs> 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 Which is a group of pandas. They they're called an embarrassment. How very opposite of a group of lions, which is called a pride. So opposite. And tune in next week. For- <laughs> Tune in next week to random shit I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, Deborah said they had grown, they had blown up a gross of balloons, whatever that fucking means. And another 50 or so were helium filled 
So basically the floor and the ceiling were just full of balloons. That sounds fun. Yeah, right. I thought it was a great idea. Um, Do that for me, please. Okay. So they had set up a kids area upstairs with crafts and games and movies. Basically just like, all right, fuck off now. (laughs) We're going to (laughs) drink. But then uh, like later on, Santa showed up and he arrived a little bit later than he was supposed to. Because he was drunk. Probably. But either way, he showed up with gifts for all the kids. Shortly after Santa left, the family started heading out. And as one of Tony's brothers was heading upstairs to get his family's coats and shit, he saw smoke and then flames coming from a mop head doll on the carpeted stairs. Do you know what a mop head doll is? No. Yeah, I'm going to have to... I can't look it up because we're recording with my phone. Oh, yeah, me too. Uh. This is why we need the camera. And you can sign up to our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> No, but look, I have the tablet here. Okay, and I'm going to do this. Uh-huh. And there's going to be a picture of a mop head doll right there. Anyway, this Tony's one of Tony's brothers is walking up the stairs and he sees smoke and flames coming from a mop head doll on the carpeted stairs. Luckily, he grabs it and manages to put it out in the sink in the bathroom. But this was the first time a completely unconfined and uncontrolled fire had been lit. Like... All the other ones that had happened were safe enough in that there were just candles burning in candle holders or whatever. This literally could have burned the fucking house down. Scared and convinced that this was Sally showing that she was upset because she had not gotten anything off Santa. Deborah chastised her harshly, saying that she could not just set fires to get their attention. But if this was something that is fucking terrifying i feel like if i would have showed you any doll you would have been like that is fucking terrifying (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) okay (laughs) i see where we are (laughs) so deborah gives out to her and she says you cannot just go lighting fires willy-nilly to get our attention that's not cool but if lighting fires is something that's easier for her to do like with her powers i guess they're gonna set up a little oil lamp in the living room so if she wanted attention she can just use that i i think this is a terrible idea but yeah that was they were trying to be fair and compromise they're being very like nice yeah like a bit too fucking nice right well I mean, if it, if it, we don't know yet, but if it's a benevolent spirit, that's pretty cool. I don't want any child, dead or alive, lighting fires in my house. No, I know, but. I like, know, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just do you being, though? They're being very accommodating. Do you? They're being very accommodating. So, Taylor had actually been asleep when Santa called at the party. Okay. So they arranged for Santa to call back the next day because this was Taylor's first christmas you know what i mean oh so obviously they're all excited and they wanted fucking and they're like oh great he's asleep yeah so at least they didn't go like hey you I sleep? Know, yeah nobody wants that fucking <laughs> pain in the ass kid but they arranged for santa to come back the next day mm-hmm. and because he's coming back they're like you better get something for sally too and when talking with tony's mom the following morning before santa shows up again Deborah was informed that Tony's dad had seen that bear on the TV stand. Remember the beanbag bear? That moved on its own the night previous. Now, this guy had had a few drinks or whatever, and he was at the party. He didn't want to make a big deal out of it. He was like, oh, it must have just been the fan or something. But the fans were definitely off because why? Winter. The balloons. Oh. All the balloons on the ceiling. I was like, oh, because it's cold. It's Christmas. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, that's a a fine idea as well. But no, they had turned off the fan specifically because of the fucking balloons. balloons. The gross of balloons. The gross of balloons. And also, the significance of the bear being a bean-filled bear comes back. It's too heavy to move just with a fan. Yeah. Like, idly (laughs) drifting around like... I love the alliteration of that sentence that you just... I didn't even notice it. Yeah, I was like... 
bear being a bill f- being filled bear coming back <laughs> anyway santa arrives again following mm-hmm. morning probably a little bit hungover and <laughs> deborah's standing in the middle of the living room she's holding t- taylor taylor at this fucking chair and santa's in the standing in the doorway like five six feet away from them yeah and he's doing you know the whole santa bit like i'm santa yeah ho 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 taylor (laughs) (laughs) that's me as santa god you suck as a santa yeah i'll i'll be i'll practice i'll be better for christmas anyway all of a sudden he's there doing the whole "Ah, look at me i'm santa and he just stops his eyes go wide and he's staring directly behind deborah okay Deborah turns like, what the fuck is this guy looking at? Yeah. She sees, quote, a tower of thick black billowing smoke coming out of the old lamp that we had designated as Sally's lamp the night before. Whoa. She was trying hard to follow the rules we had made. I must admit that I was quite surprised, not to mention very happy that she went about getting the attention she wanted in a safe way this time. Weird. So... The little girl was super excited because Santa came back. He didn't forget about her. Yeah. He just wanted to give her the present with Taylor. And I'm sure Santa shit a brick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Ho, ho, no. What's this? (laughs) Ho, ho, no. (laughs) That's not written in my notes. That was just me. So (laughs) quick-witted. Yeah. So, like I was saying, the activity, activity, the activity, <laughs> like I was saying, the activity would ebb and flow so much that Deborah would find it hard to know when Sally was actually around or not. One thing they did say that she would play with the strings hanging from the fan. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a really fucking ambiguous sign, considering the strings are underneath the fan, which could be blowing. Yeah, and they always kind of move. Yeah, right? When the fan's on, yeah. But I guess maybe they moved very, like, purposefully when she was around. So either way, anytime Deborah saw them moving, she would, like, make sure to say hello or just acknowledge her in any way. More so just to stop her from doing anything more drastic. Yeah. Like lighting a fucking fire. Yeah. Tony, however, still didn't really have time for any of this shit. He would not say hello to her and like at all i think he was making a point of like i'm not entertaining this bullshit she's your kid i'm not having anything to do with her but this wasn't necessarily good for him on one occasion he was lying on the couch in the living room completely alone when all of a sudden he felt something bite the back of his thigh Uh. now the bite didn't break the skin but it did leave little teeth marks that looked like they could have come from a child. Taylor didn't even have teeth at this point, mm. so he could not be blamed. Deborah goes on to say that she and Tony were operating on a pretty tight budget at this particular time. You know, being young and first kid, bigger house, all that kind of thing. But she still had wanted to give Sally something special for Christmas. And so she decided she was going to make her her very own crib for the doll that she had bought previously. Mm -hmm. So on Christmas morning, they're all taking photos and it's their first Christmas with Taylor again. But a few weeks later, when they actually get the photos developed, they notice that this time there's not just one shape in the photos because the other photos were, remember I was saying they were like... Blobs. They were blobs, but like the ambient lighting and stuff, it was like... Colors of love and mm-hmm. stuff, according to Barbara, the, the medium. This time, there's two different colored anomalies in two of the photos. One is brown and one is described as marbleized. Mm. And they seem to be in different parts of the living room in the two pictures. Mm-hmm. Like they're moving and it's not just a dodgy lens or anything. Yeah. It's like they're purposefully in the room wherever they are. Yeah. This next bit, I'm going to quote directly from Deborah. Okay. I'm actually going to put a little trigger warning here for uh, animal cruelty, I guess you okay. call it. One morning, 
during the spring of 1994. I got up for work and went to the dryer to retrieve an item or two I wanted to wear that day. I placed a basket in front of the dryer to catch any clothes as I fumbled through those inside the dryer. Being in a rush for time, I left the dryer door open and some of the clothes in the basket. Tony woke after I left for work and seeing the clothes from the dryer decided to fold them. The clothes, however, were still damp, so he threw them all back into the dryer and turned it one and turned it on for a 90-minute cycle. A short time later, he decided to run the vacuum in the living room. He pulled it out, set it up, and turned it on. Like many of the other electronic items in the house, it almost immediately turned itself off without any human intervention. In the background, he was able to hear the dryer tumbling and heavy thump, thump, thump coming from inside of it. He guessed I had washed a pair of tennis shoes and thought nothing of it. He then turned the vacuum back on again, only to have it turned off again. This process repeated itself a few times until he finally exasperatedly yelled, Sally, knock it off and leave the vacuum alone. The vacuum did not turn off anymore that afternoon. However, Tony reported to me about, this, about his experience when I got home later that afternoon. The washer and dryer were in the kitchen, so that evening, while Tony got dinner ready, I decided to fold the clothes. I opened the dryer and began taking things out, only to find that everything I pulled out had odd brown spots on it. I was really puzzled for a few minutes, and then it hit me. I suddenly realized that the brown spots looked an awful lot like dried blood, and a moment later, I realized that the only way blood would get all over everything in the dryer was if one of my cats had gotten into the dryer before Tony turned it on. I slowly stepped away from the dryer and screamed. It took hours for me to calm down from the horror I saw in the dryer. In retrospect, we believe that Sally was aware that the cat was in the dryer and tried to make Tony aware of this by turning the vacuum off. Later that night, after regaining some composure... I began to realize Sally's actions and how horrible she must feel that the cat died. I tried to let her know that it wasn't her fault and that Tony simply wasn't understanding what she had been trying to tell him. So, to me, yeah, that, that was fucking horrible. Like, I can only imagine yeah. seeing that and, and whatever. But Sally was so, you know, powerful or whatever. Like, she could turn on and off all these things mm-hmm. and even show up take a doll out of a box without unwrapping it yeah why didn't she stop the dryer that's a good point i mean you think maybe um well no yeah that's a good point i don't know i don't know either i don't know what the laws of ghost physics are Mm. but that whole experience was just horrible other random events that came up kind of in passing like while i was i watched an interview with them and other things they said were that Tony was scratched and yanked out of his bed one night. Mm-hmm. Now, Deborah doesn't mention any of this. It, everything that I've just read was taken directly from first-hand accounts from Deborah. Mm-hmm. Other than the bite on Tony's leg, which she kind of thought was funny, she didn't mention any of this. But he was scratched many times. He was yanked out of his bed in the middle of the night. His mother had a lamp thrown at her. One time they had company over and everybody's standing around talking and they had a wooden rocking horse. And all of a sudden, the horse's ears caught fire. Tony said in his own words, as if a torch, like a blowtorch, just lit up. Like not even like small, like just smoke coming from it this Mm -hmm. thing caught fucking flame Mm -hmm. barbara the psychic medium had gone back to california after her visit to the house but her and deborah had kept in close contact deborah would call with any new information or evidence and barbara was actually using their photographs in lectures which is what barbara did she lectured as a psychic medium i guess i don't fucking know but through Barbara, this case was gaining a lot of attention, but she didn't give any details other than, look at these photographs that they have, and this happened and that happened. But being in California, these TV stations were approaching her and saying, you know, let us give us the deal. Like, we'll go, we'll make it, 
do all this stuff. Now, Tony and Deborah didn't want any of this. Tony especially didn't want any of this. Again, his family were like quite, not even well-to-do, but just well-known in this small town. And he didn't want to be the crazy one, basically was what he said. But eventually, anyway, Deborah decided to go ahead and reach out to the TV stations. I think it was like 90% Deborah, 10% Tony. Anyway, Barbara was like, look, go with this particular show. They're a smaller station and they'll be nicer or whatever. So it was the show Sightings. Did you ever see this? I'd never heard of it before. But I think it was like a weekly thing and they would do like five minutes here, five minutes there. And over the next year, they covered the Pikmin story in little segments here and there. I think... All in all, it was like five or six episodes and about an hour's worth of footage. I'll try and link the compilation below because below because um, it is on YouTube anyway. So anyway, while the TV crew was there, Tony had his arm, stomach and forehead scratched. The paranormal investigator advises against keeping the toys and everything that they had been doing basically do not encourage her in any way because even when she does supposedly cute things and stuff like that she seems to be doing more and more negative stuff to get attention other than this you know on another occasion sightings monitored the house for 24 hours straight during that time they witnessed tony get these scratches 11 times 11 separate occasions and like, he's just sitting there, like, other stuff that happened was the TV crew experienced some random camera malfunctions and small stuff. I really think that they were just poking at this thing to, like, the more people that showed up, the more she was going to show off. And remember, at the when Barbara came over to the house that first time, Sally basically said, like, I'll do this if you want me to, like, when people are around, like, I can do this in front of your friends. And they kind of just laughed it off, like, oh, you know, no need for that, blah, blah, blah. But Tony would be sitting there on camera, and all of a sudden, like, his forehead might get one of these, like, I don't know how to describe those scratches, but, like, goat scratches, where they look like they come out of nowhere, but all of a sudden, like, blood would be pouring down his face. Mm. Or, like, his arms. And I'm talking, like, these were, like, gouges. Yeah. I have some of them saved in, in here. I'll show you after, but just like really, really like vicious stuff only on Tony. Mm -hmm. They also caught an EVP on the audio in post, which I don't think these EVPs are anything, but the experts just couldn't explain it at all. The dude who works. Oh, there was one guy who actually worked with the CIA and like the FBI, like for I guess like, you know, like those weird sonar sounds that they pick up and shit like that. And he said that it sounded like a magnetic energy. Now, again, didn't sound like a whole lot of anything to me. But they call him Peter James, right? Peter James looks like fucking Mark Twain or like Einstein, that kind of look, right? Mm -hmm. And as he's walking up to the house, bear in mind, this is like 1993 still or 1994. So like Ghost Adventures wasn't around yet. But anyway, as he's walking up to the house, he stops and he's straight away says, there's a little girl in that window. Peter, I, I still don't know whether I like him or not. But he was pretty aggressive when he was calling out to her. Right now. I just don't like that whole fucking like, come out and show yourself to me, bollocks, mm -hmm. that any like fucking ghost hunter does. But that's exactly what he was doing. And at first he was saying like, he'd go to walk up the stairs and he was like, you know, like a gentle old man. He's like, you see her? She's standing right up there. There's a little girl. And he's like, hi, Sally. Hi. But then he gets upstairs and he's like, come out and show yourself to me. Like, I demand this kind of thing. And I was like, okay, well, if she is a little girl, you're fucking scaring the shit out of her right now. Like, why yeah. would she want to? He gets to the nursery and he says that she didn't want him in there. Suddenly, Tony and everybody else are standing outside the nursery. He feels her scratch him. And when they lift up his shirt, he has the letters MC scratched in his back. 
perfectly. Like, there's no doubt about it. This is M and C scratching his back. Now, I only realized after when I was doing these fucking notes, the guy who built the house was MC Finney. Mm-hmm. Now, this could be totally Zach Baggins putting two things together, but nobody could understand why he would have MC written and nobody mentioned that. Yeah. And then I just thought it was a weird coincidence that. Mm-hmm. I have to pee. Okay. So at this point, Peter says it's not just Sally there. Now, he doesn't say that it's Sally isn't Sally or anything like that. He just says it's not just her. He doesn't say who the other spirit or spirits are or is. But anyway, Peter claims that Sally was brought to the house in 1905. She was suffering from pneumonia and at the time a doctor lived there. And that's true of one of the Finneys was a physician. And I also realized that what I said in last week's episode as I was editing it didn't really make sense. But as I was looking through the like historical records, because it said physician and not doctor, it, I just didn't twig that in my head. So I had gone over and was like, this story makes no sense. And then when I reread it, I was like, uh, physician. It means the same fucking thing. <laughs> but it just didn't click with me. Anyway, so Sally's mother supposedly brought her to the house in 1905. She was suffering from pneumonia at the, and at the time a doctor lived there. But he couldn't save her and so she died. Oh. This is on par with the legend that now stands Mm -hmm. but in like the official ghost story of sally it said that she actually had appendicitis and she was rushed to the doctor's house in the middle of the night but it was too late Mm -hmm. and that kind of stands more with what barbara the first psychic medium was saying because she said something along the lines of you know she had like a sore tooth pain in her stomach and something else Mm -hmm. So either way, the story that stuck is that she had appendicitis. But I don't know which came first, the TV show or the story. But interestingly enough, Peter then took camera, the camera crews to a local graveyard, which is the oldest graveyard in town. And he's walking around on his own for a little while. The camera's like way back. So he's just this random old man. And then he all of a sudden he gets drawn to this grave. And he said, this is where she is. Now, the grave was so old that it was no longer legible. But when checked against the cemetery records, they found that, yes, this grave did belong to a Sally Elizabeth, sorry, Sally Isabel Hall, who died in 1905. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's incredible. Tony, Deborah and Taylor surprised the sightings crew for their final visit. So the Pigments had moved out. Um, This actually says the (laughs) Pacmans. (laughs) <laughs> and now I'm not sure. <laughs> They're all like, hey, waka waka. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, Tony and Deborah had moved out. It got too much of them. And like they stuck around like almost two years, I think. Mm-hmm. So longer than I would have fucking stayed there anyway. But within minutes and on camera, Tony's attacked with more scratches. And I did find it kind of funny because in all these scenes, Tony's just sitting there with his shirt open. And he's like, he's he's a small man, but he's in great shape. But it just looked really funny. He's just like, look at my abs. <laughs> anyway, these scratches are so fucking bad. Like, they are gouged into him. Mm-hmm. And like that, you just watch them appear, supposedly, anyway, on camera. Now... When they spoke about their previous experiences, like as in, did you believe in ghosts before the Sally house? Deborah said that she definitely believed. I don't know that she had like, you know, a big story or anything to tell. Or she did actually, but I'm not going to get into it. It was something about um, a friend's summer house that they used to go to and something moved the big heavy wardrobe. It was enough to convince her anyway. Tony, on the other hand, said he didn't necessarily believe, but he did have one experience as a child when he was in his bedroom. Now, this is the same house that they have been visiting throughout this story. He was looking at the sliding doors on his closet. 
and he saw these white bony fingers creep out and then slide the door open just a couple of inches, right? Revealing a pale white face oh. inside. And then it burst out laughing, this evil laugh that shook little Tony to his core. He ran out, ran into his parents' room and, you know, usual shit. Oh, you're just having a bad dream. Calm down. But he was so convinced he did not sleep in that bedroom ever again. Yeah. Like he moved his shit out the next yeah, day. Yeah. And even as an adult going back to the house, uh, he said like after his parents died, like obviously they had to go in and, you know, they were moving shit out and like just organizing shit in general. But like he was still saying to Deborah, like, no, that's the room where it happened. And I'm sorry if you have sliding doors. I had sliding doors in my old apartment and they were kind of freaky anyway, but sorry. So who is Sally? This story is taken from rare.us and it goes, One day, a mother rushed her young, collapsed daughter into the house. The little girl was suffering from abdominal pains. Dr. Finney diagnosed the problem as appendicitis and worried that her appendix would burst shortly. He said that Sally needed surgery and the mother agreed. However, Dr. Finney began surgery on Sally just before her anesthesia fully sedated her. She did not make it through the operation. The little girl died on the operating table, screaming in pain. That's the legend. The seven-year-old little girl with her blonde hair, fair skin, innocent-looking face that died in the house, whose grave Peter James found? Mm -hmm. Well, Mrs. Sally Isabel Hall was a 34-year-old black woman who had died while giving birth to her 14th child. Of her 14 kids, only four actually survived. Mm -hmm. She just, this poor lady just had a really hard life. There are no records of any little girl ever dying at the property. And the second time Tony saw Sally, she was trying to drag him out of his bed. Mm-hmm. He kept resisting. It, it sounded like a kind of a sleep paralysis type thing. Mm-hmm. But he kept resisting and she kept reaching for him. About the third or fourth time, she finally got hold of him. Pulling on his arm, he saw her change. Tony's words were that she turned into something that was part animal, part human, rotting flesh with worms in it, growling at him. After this experience, Tony experienced what sounded like sleep paralysis on two more occasions, and he would see an old woman, all in black, in old-timey dress, reaching for him, always reaching for him. Now, this was still Sally, in his mind, but she had completely changed. Over time in the house, Tony and Deborah were started to be effect- starting to be affected very negatively. Tony would get this intense hatred of Deborah, saying that at one point he had actually planned on slitting her throat. Like these were the thoughts that were going through his head. Not only that he wanted, but he was trying to think of like logistically how he was going to carry this out. Now, they believed that it was this older lady entity coming through Tony because Tony had these like weird feelings of jealousy. Like he was jealous of Deborah. Mm-hmm. So he thinks that this old lady possessed him and was jealous of Deborah for having him and having the baby and stuff like that. Deborah said she just wasn't understanding anything. Mm-hmm. Like, didn't get this at all. But one day, Tony was asleep on the couch and Deborah said he just, out of nowhere, just sat up, stared straight at her and he just said, he's mine. Went back to sleep. And she was just like, oh, oh, I must be dreaming. (laughs) She never, like, she always had this soft spot for Sally. Yeah. Throughout this whole time. Mm -hmm. So they finally moved out. And that was it. Problem is over. Problem solved. They didn't have any issues any issues for 11 months and then suddenly tony started getting scratched up again mm-hmm. on another occasion they were chilling in their new house and tony says a knife just came flying from the kitchen sliced his shirt open 
and hit the wall. Now, they believe that this was a direct result of people doing unsavory things in the Sally House at that time. They said it was the same night. And like, I guess they were talking to this paranormal group and figured it was around the same time. But he said it literally slit his shirt. And then they said like it didn't stick into the wall, but it hit the curtain in the wall. It wasn't quite as dramatic, but scary. In the basement of the Sally House, remember I was saying there was an unfinished basement? Somebody, whether it was kids or these paranormal groups that had gone in after the sightings show, somebody found a black cloak and a pentagram on the floor in the basement. Mm -hmm. The theory is that there was something demonic, elemental, call it whatever you fucking want, but whatever is in that house was there long before the house was actually built. Mm -hmm. And now it thrives on the energy of whoever goes into the house, living or dead. So kind of similar, actually, to the Lachance thing, where, I mean, they came straight out and said, oh, it's portals everywhere. Mm -hmm. But anything that did pass through would be affected negatively by the negative energy that was already there. Yeah. Either way, this thing manipulates spirits into tricking the living into loving them fearing them anything it can that gives energy to it and makes it stronger mm. and with tony and deborah it was two sides of the coin one was fucking terrified and being negatively affected whereas the other one deborah felt like she was the mother to this long lost soul you know she really mm. believed she was doing such good and it drove a wedge between the couple mm -hmm. as well as living off the fear and happiness at the same time theory is all it is but going back to the photo that deborah caught that showed the two different entities mm -hmm. it looks as though one was hiding behind the other mm -hmm. maybe or like i mean this is pure conjecture mm -hmm. but you would think if one is evil and one is being used and say if it was a little girl or whatever, it's like it's leaning over the shoulder saying like, okay, do this, do this, you know, just being manipulated. Barbara, the first medium, did say at the time that one energy felt protective and angry, whereas the other was warm and loving. Mm -hmm. So the protective angry one being the one that owns the land, say, and mm -hmm. the other one being manipulated. The house still has a hold over them. Now, Tony and Deborah have gone on like this changed their whole fucking life. They became super obsessed with the paranormal. They became investigators in a crew and all this. Oh, wow. Yeah. And very God fearing people now. Like they definitely believe hands down what they went through was purely demonic. But Tony claims to have woken up at three o'clock in the morning one night barefoot in the snow at the Sally house. Doesn't know how he got there. Doesn't remember leaving the house. He just woke up in front of the Sally house. That's insane. Yeah. And they have been back like multiple times. They've This house has been, again, like the Lachance house, used over and over and over again for different paranormal teams to practice, get solid evidence every time. All of this shit. So... In my opinion, God only knows what the fuck is in there now. Yeah. But anyway, so they've been back and forth. They're not afraid of it, but it definitely has this strong fucking attachment to them. And like I said, the Pikmins now are paranormal investigators. And like that, the house has been investigated so many fucking times by so many different groups and also has had a lot of people just showing up and breaking in. Like this, this has been quite a problem, like teenagers getting arrested and shit like that. But the house is now the on the Atchison Town website. It's a tourist destination. Oh, cool. So anyone can spend the night there for just $125 each from November to August or $150 during September and August. Nope, September and October. So for Halloween season, basically, you have to pay an extra $25. But yeah, that's... That's their story. Isn't it? Oh. So I did say at the start that the end would probably seem very short-lived. 
compared to the beginning, but it's only because Deborah had all these accounts like written in a timeline on the website. Like it was really well organized and stuff. And then she just stopped after uh, one of them. And so I was reading like all these happy stories about, oh, Sally, the cute little girl ghost. And then all of a sudden, everything I saw was this demonic spirit mm. that was attacking them afterwards. And there was no in between. Yeah. So I watched this interview with them and I have it listed here. It was a small paranormal group. Like the videos only have like a few hundred views. And she's she is talking like negatively about the demonic thing and stuff. But she also doesn't seem angry about the fact that Tony was the one getting ripped apart. Yeah. And stuff like that, you know. So it feels like that divide is still there between the two of them. Yeah. And overall, basically, this is the reason why Zach Bagans has trust issues. Mm. <laughs> so you know the way every fucking ghost show is like, oh, there's been photos of a, you know, little boy or little girl taken here that is said to have been the orphan of whatever yeah. person. Or is it okay. a demon? Yeah. Like this story is why. Really? Yeah. Like directly why? More or less. Like this was a famous, famous case and still is. I mean, the house is the fucking major tourist attraction in the area. But this would have been like, I'm pretty sure, like Unsolved Mysteries time mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So this case was heavily watched by, oh. you know, it was the only thing you could see yeah. in this context mm -hmm. on TV at the time. So, yeah. Interesting. There you go. And I think that's why. It's such a solid, um, like a, such a staple in the paranormal world mm -hmm. today is because it is a good example of a little girl ghost turning out to not be a little girl ghost. But like... Or it, being used by something else. Yeah, because like there's several sources. Well, I mean, I don't know how credible that last one was because he stood over a grave of a little white girl. And then it turns out there was no little white girl that died in there. Yeah. But, but the grave still was. Of a little white girl. No, no, no. The grave was of a black lady. Oh. Oh. Okay. Now I get it. Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah. It's so hard. And then even just the two sides, like Deborah and Tony. Like Tony still talks about Sally as the little girl mm -hmm. and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it is very strange. And it's also strange to see like the hold over them even all these years later now the website is the sallyhouse.com and definitely go on there if you're interested i don't know if you'll necessarily find out more but i guess you'll be able to read a lot more but it was stopped they stopped updating it in i think 2017 and deborah has been on there to say that she actually had some sort of illness which may made it hard for her to do anything so i'm not sure what the situation is with the new website that was promised but it's very well documented up until it starts getting evil <laughs> that's interesting i mean it could very well be like several spirits because like our own ninja pop tart yeah like she grew up in a house with several spirits but to someone who isn't a sensitive they might be like okay just well, keep blaming the ghost they're, yeah, they're, it's all just one thing. It's all just one ghost who sometimes is nice and sometimes is not. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, but then again, like if you have the two mediums, I think the whole idea is, or the whole problem was that they were picking up this mask of a child. Mm -hmm. And whatever behind, was behind the mask was so unclear that this just makes it all the, that much more scary. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that's why the story is. I think so what's great, and, and you know what, what, what probably contributes to Tony keeping, staying, referring to that ghost as Sally, is that he saw Sally, so he knows there's a, oh well then he turned it turned into something. Yeah, else. that's true. And it's so fucking scary, like. Yeah. Anyway, that's the Sally house. It's crazy how it's like this big, pantheon of paranormal activity so famous never heard of it <laughs> well yeah and that's so ghost adventures did go there mm -hmm. and i have watched that episode multiple times 
I can't fucking remember anything from it though. And I'm sure Zach tells the story mm-hmm. of the little girl and blah blah blah. But yeah, and since then I've just it has popped up over and over again as I'm searching other shit. Mm-hmm. Like people will reference it and stuff, and I'm like, so yeah, I didn't know either, but I'm really glad I did. I yeah. really enjoyed the story. Yay. Yeah. And uh there you go. Yay. Okay, everybody. I think we're actually going to release this to the regular creeps as well as the Patreon creeps. Anyway, let us know what you think because we can make this a more regular thing if it's not too much of a fucking pain in the arse and if people actually enjoy it. Other than that, do we have any more news? Nope. Thanks again to Justin for that killer fucking keychain. We are so happy with it. And yeah, I think that's fucking it, guys. I don't know. Uh, make sure to follow us on all the shit um facebook instagram twitter if you want more stuff patreon uh i smell good yay and yeah that's that's fucking it all right thanks for listening okay bye